0: live so as soon as you see oh yeah welcome back to the beyond the wire podcast i am your host tim keller along with me as he always is, is mr matt Disher. he's got a a new mic stand out here for anybody that's watching us on YouTube or Spotify or Facebook for that matter, any of the places we're live. Uh, So it's great to be back. It's great to uh, see you, Matt. Uh, We had a few weeks here where between the two of us, it's been travels and and work stuff and this and that. Uh, We're doing this a day later again because of some work things, but it's
1: always great to see you. How you been? Uh, No complaints. Uh, Sorry, we're laughing because we were having technical difficulties with the with the intro and the technology, Mm -hmm. but uh, everything's good. It's it's springtime now, right? Um, Yeah. At least for the time Mm -hmm. being. The 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 rule is that it will still snow at least once in Cincinnati, Ohio, sometime in April. It always happens. Okay. But we got a new deck on the back of our house with a roof over it, and so we've been really excited to go use that. So we've been sitting out there as it's warmer. This is like my favorite, one of my favorite times of year. I do like the fall. Unfortunately, it leads into those bad months, the, the, right? The season that I, I think. Here's the thing I like the holiday season. I yeah. think it's once it gets into February, I'm tired of it. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people are like that. Like, I love the snow and I like it. I like the holiday season. I like the, you know, putting on the sweaters and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, I am a, a product of the Midwest, so I enjoy the seasons. I think it's strange. Like, I've spent Christmas in. Florida before, and it was very weird. I I spent I spent Christmas in Southern California one time. Very strange.
0: Um, Yeah, you know, where where we are from, the the Northeast or the Midwest, um, you know, shorts on Christmas is not what it's supposed to be. It's just not that's not what Christmas is. Um, You know, obviously, it's about being around the people you care about and uh, the giving of gifts and things of that nature. Right. Uh, But yeah, being able to wear shorts and be comfortable just does not feel right. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, We are, we are. I think the the big tournament has kicked off now. The NCAA tournament. I'm wearing my Villanova hat. Let's go Wildcats! Uh, I I last minute threw together a couple brackets. I'm sure I'll be way out of the running here in a few hours. Uh, Somebody that uh, picks based off of mascots will be dominating me. So congratulations (laughs) to that 14 year old uh, from
1: Missouri. I guess I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I I like Bulldogs. Uh, so just random yeah. just random picks on a bracket
0: that's that's how they'll do it so congratulations to whoever that is uh just has that off the wall bracket that nobody else thought you know whatever team a is going to lose and right. they do um, but yeah um i, I did want to say we had some snow just four days ago back in pa yeah. something like that and uh yesterday it was uh, in the low 70s uh it was my my first outdoor run of the year my legs are feeling it uh, i can tell you I don't run nearly as much as I probably should anymore these days. Got about a half mile in and like, ooh, I don't remember wheezing this hard hard last time. I went on a
1: run. Yeah. Tim, tell us more about this thing you call running. Yes, tell us what that is. It's like walking, but just faster. You essentially <laughs> just keep moving your feet so you don't fall on your face. Uh, I made I made a decision in the Marine Corps that I'm never going to run ever again unless I absolutely want to. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, and it was, you know, hey, put on this 40-pound pack and, and wear these boots and run until, you know, run on the beach, run, run in the until sand. until I'm tired. Yeah. It, by the way, if you've ever run in the sand with boots on Oof. and a 40-pound pack in a formation, that's even worse. You're It's yeah. like... It's like brushing your teeth while eating Oreos, as they yeah. say, yeah. you just, you feel like you're doing all this work and you're not going anywhere. Absolutely. Um,
0: yeah, the day I got my DD 214 in my hand, I told myself, I will never run a day in my life again. Never again. Run. Huh. I wish I, wish I had stayed with it more. Uh, but I spent the winter months, uh, lifting, you know, putting on a few pounds of muscle. So now, uh, as the weather starts to turn nicer, I want to, uh, get back, uh, into running, get, get some more cardio in on a daily basis and, and try to slim down a little bit. I, I will say uh, I just wanted to let everybody know I was off last week uh, doing some traveling for work uh, really excited about some of the prospects of, of things uh, in my future. But uh, I also did have a a little scenario where I nearly killed the CEO of a fortune 100 company hmm. uh, was sitting at a table, eating my breakfast. One of the other executives came over to, to introduce himself to me. I it stood up the chair I was on had wheels. So it moved away from the table as I stood up. Little little safety message to everybody here, maybe. Um, We talked for a few minutes. I I noticed the CEO was behind me, but to my left as I stood up. Um, So after the conversation ended with the other executive, uh, the the group of us were all talking, uh, decided to sit back down and finish our breakfasts. As I went to sit back down, the the chair began to roll even further away. As I reached back to grab the chair, I realized that the CEO is now you know, it's a wall. The CEO and my chair, which come you know, is coming towards him, uh, and he's got about six inches of room before uh, my much larger body and chair strike him. <laughs> Quickly grabbed a hold of my chair, slid it back under the table. No harm, no foul. Nobody was uh, anywhere near being injured necessarily, uh, but I used that as the catalyst to, after I finished my bagel, uh, to to walk over, introduce myself, and apologize, and let him know. Uh, sir, I wasn't trying to kill you. I promise. So
1: So while I would love
0: your job, that's not how I'd like to get it.
1: Yeah. When you started the story, I was thinking it was going to go somewhere along the lines of like, there I was eating my breakfast and this guy wanted my bacon. And I (laughs) said, no. And that was the last piece of bacon. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, no, sir, you can't have it. And then as I finished
0: the bacon and he cried, (laughs) no. Right. uh, Right. It was a good trip. I got to meet some, uh, some, some very uh, high executives in in the company I, I am currently employed with. And it was a good time, but yeah, trying not to kill uh, your CEOs or other executives if you were to meet them.
1: Just Do you take just any attempt. notes on, on what sort of suits and clothing and shoes those CEOs are wearing just for when you become the CEO that you, you know? I, I'll what be you're... honest.
0: Um, the CEO himself, very relaxed. I mean, you know, dress pants, uh, you know, casual dress shoes, uh, you know, a nice plaid style button down with a vest over top, you know. Uh, most of the other executive group was very, you know, pristine. They were, you know, solid color button-downs. A few of them had ties, but yeah, very nice slacks and dress shoes. Uh also had uh, you know, didn't think ahead. I I brought two different pair of dress shoes with me. The first morning I had one outfit that I thought was going to go very well with my black dress shoes. As I went to tie them, the the lace broke. Uh, and I was like, "Oh, it's in a spot where I can retie it behind, you know, behind the shoe nobody would even see it." tied it up, went to relace. And then the second, the other side broke. And I was like, there you go. But thankfully I was, I was prepared with another set of dress shoes. Everything worked out. So, yep. but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get back into this, man. Um, You know, we talked our last time about the initial invasion of Russia into Ukraine. Uh, Obviously that's some of the biggest news out there these days. Uh, It's funny. If you watch that news, go back a month, tell me what the news was and then, you don't see any of yeah. that anymore. It, it's not out it,
1: there. Right. It really is. It's just the, I see this meme floating around on social media right now. And it's like the, the picture of the cartoon guy. It says, I, I support the current thing.
0: Yes. It's
1: <laughs> yes. But it's, it's, it is. It's it is how fast things change. A month oh. ago, we, we weren't having this conversation. I think we were talking about Russia moving into place a month ago because mm-hmm. it would have been next week a month ago Yeah. that the invasion actually started, I think there was some period of time where we talked about, maybe it's just posturing. Maybe it's just trying to put some pressure on them to, you know, scare them, to influence something. But then it just became an invasion. And now it's been, it's very strange because you're seeing three weeks of uh, bogged down military convoys and perhaps failed operations. It's kind of interesting to watch. The other hard thing is you're trying to get media trying to get images and and news from the news. And it's the same story over and over again, the same images over and over again. You used to have sites like LiveLeak on the internet where you could go in and type in Ukraine or Somalia or what have you, and you'd get footage and images and stories off the ground that were, in some cases, very graphic if if you like to look at that kind of thing. And I'm not saying just go out and look for combat deaths and things like that. But what you would find is like, what's happening on the streets in these places. Right all you're getting right now, it's hard to get uh, uh, what's happening on the on the ground. It might just be because there's a lack of cameras on the ground. It might just be because these operations are literally like civilians and paramilitary and military picking up arms and fighting in the streets. And I think that that's as this thing progresses, you're going to see more of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: You know, our first article we have pulled up here, uh, the headline reads Biden's China pivot complicated by Russia's war in Ukraine. I think that one of the big points for Biden and his staff coming into the White House, uh, you know, they wanted to try to increase the talks between the U.S. and China, um, get a better feel for possibly where we stand economically um, and militarily uh, with, you know, what I think both you and I would consider probably our our biggest competitor in both of those fields. Um, But with the current Russian invasion of the Ukraine, this has made, you know, that pivot that Biden wanted to do a little more complicated. The Chinese government uh, has kind of bounced back and forth as to whether they're going to aid Russia economically, if they're going to uh, aid Russia militarily, uh, you know, if they're going to provide weapons of any sort. Um, I know China is one of the few uh, countries out there that is considered backing Russia here in this, in this, uh, current conflict. Um, so it's made these decisions by the white house and and the staff, uh, a little more difficult. Um, I know that Biden and, uh, I'm going to try this name. I I've only pronounced it one time ever. Xi Jinping, the, um, Chinese president, essentially, uh, they are scheduled to speak tomorrow by phone. Um, It's a conversation that the White House says will center on managing the competition between the two countries as well as Russia's war against Ukraine and other mutual concerns.
1: It's, you know, these are world powers. The three world powers, Mm -hmm. right, are added again. Um, I I say added again because that's what the news always is, right? But but now we have one of those who has invaded this neighbor. Uh, The... The reasons for that invasion are foggy. You see six mm-hmm. different reasons. Well, it's the expansion of NATO. Well, let's assume for a second you take over Ukraine. Guess what your neighbors are now? Yeah, it's NATO neighbors. They're NATO still. You can't. You haven't pushed that boundary backwards any further. Um, it's about resources. You know, Ukraine is full of resources. It's a wealthy country. Uh, historically, it it voted. Uh, almost unanimously or overwhelmingly to leave the Soviet Union back when that whole thing went down. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are people that don't want to be part of this. I said this fairly, very early on, Tim. I know we'll talk about it more more than this, but it's, it's virtually impossible to wage a uniformed invasion on a civilian population that simply doesn't want you there. It doesn't work that way. You're not going to be able to take over. We're seeing that in the news. So all of that is challenging. Russia is asking China for help. China is probably sitting in the middle, because you got to think of China as I mean, think about where we buy everything. Mm-hmm. Right? That th- this would be this would have disastrous economic impact for all parties concerned if everybody decides to take sides. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we're on one side against Russia, against Russia's invasion. I shouldn't even say that we're against Russia. It's against the invasion of the Ukraine. It's not like I think we can all work in, in harmony. Uh, but China is, is traditionally the politically we're pushing against each other, United States and China, we push against each other. However, we're in these like really strong economic impactful partnerships. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's really hard. I guess if these leaders decide, Hey, the economic impact doesn't matter and we're willing to suffer through it, that's when you're going to see world war three. That's when you're going to see the, the the launch of whatever ugliness happens next. But I do think it's it's worth it. Like we need to be having conversations with with both with all three parties. The three parties yeah. need to get to the table and make sure that you know we're we're not tearing the world apart. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, the article goes on to say that Biden has been deeply invested in rallying NATO and Western allies to respond to Russia with crippling sanctions, supplying an overmatched Ukraine military with two billion in military assistance, including a 800 million in new aid that was announced uh, Wednesday. Um, The Eastern flank NATO allies that include Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland, as well as Romania have made it clear to the Biden administration that they want the U S to increase its military presence in the region and to do more to address the worst humanitarian crisis in Europe since world war II. Uh, as of the writing of the article, more than 3 million Ukrainian refugees have fled their country. Matt, you kind of brought this up. Uh, for China, they they can kind of sit back and study this case. They can see what the rest of the world is is willing to do to a country whose actions they may not agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. There is um, there is a group of countries that include Australia, India, Japan, and Russia that are known as the Indo Pacific Security Team. Uh, I'm sorry, known as the Quad. It is uh, it is a indio pacific security team made up of those four countries Uh, in recent months biden has announced that there's going to be nuclear submarines sold to australia um, and some of these other countries australia india and japan were some of the the quickest and fastest to put on these sanctions against russia Uh, essentially the the thought is these countries are making a stand saying you know watch what we do to russia china you know let's Let's not
1: play any weird, you know, any weird games because we're willing to do the same to you. Yeah. The other thing is that China has spent decades now, and this is, you know, this is going to be a pretty, uh, you know, layman's expression of what's been happening. But, you know, while the United States has been at war for 20 years, Hmm. China spent 20 years investing in interests around the world. And tech. And tech and all these other things, production, et cetera, et cetera. Not that we haven't been doing some of that in the United States, but uh, they weren't spending trillions of dollars on conflict and they they continue not to. I see this a couple of ways. I see that, who knows, the, the backroom conversation could be, hey, let's try to drag the United States into another conflict, tie up their money, tie up their resources, and then everybody else continues to invest in resources and tech and things like that. I mean, imagine spending trillions of dollars on getting to Mars, right? Mm-hmm. Or trillions of dollars on what is renewable energy. You're seeing this conversation around renewable energy right now, especially as as gas prices go up again and inflation goes up. People are complaining mm-hmm. about their the price of things. SUV and truck sales are going to go down. Mm-hmm. Gas prices are expensive. Let's go get battery operated cars. Problem with all of that is that you still have to mine resources for batteries. It's mm-hmm. And it's a pretty significant process. If you look into it, it is a—it's not necessarily clean either. And I don't yeah. mean to say that as a political statement. There's a lot more to it than just like you know, just generate it's, batteries it's and put them in cars. Right. It's—it's yeah. it's a dirty industry as well, and in some cases, it, it exploits child labor. Um, it's all these things. So anyway, we could have spent these this time investing in these things, and instead, we keep getting dragged into conflict. And that's the the hard part of this conversation is. Do we watch right now as Ukraine just gets bombed to rubble? Because that's what's happening. If you mm-hmm. see the images on the news, and I realize the news is the news. The news is going to show us the worst, ghastly parts of things—burning and people dead in the streets. But this is conflict. This is war. People get hurt. Civilians get hurt. The women and children and non-combatants are suffering the most out of this, right? Mm. Uh, apartment they ain't buildings. They no way and shape schools. or form signed up for this. Right, right. They're just there. They're trying to get out, but they're just there. And so you've got apartment buildings and houses being hit with missiles and rockets and and mortars and stuff like that. Look, I'll also say this as a you know, former member of the U.S. military: we're not we're not sitting here pointing the finger at somebody else and saying, "Ah, oh, look at the destruction you've caused." We've we've done things. We've we've done invasions too, right? We've seen this in our lifetimes. We're not perfect. I will tell you this though, and you can reference the uh, uh, Dakota Meyer's book into the fire. Dakota Meyer was a Marine who won the medal of honor in Afghanistan. And, and somewhere in that book, I don't exactly remember where it referenced this in the book. It talks about how the U S military policy at the time was not to, to use fixed wing or uh, indirect fire weapons against any target that was within a certain distance, like one kilometer of residential space. And the reason for that was we don't want to accidentally drop a bomb or a, or, or artillery show or, a helicopter, do a gun run on a house or a school or something like that. So we were, we were trying to be, the U S military has always tried to be intentional. I'm not doing this as a comparison, but what we're seeing is just like almost the cursory um, attack or bombardment of a city. Uh, right now it's Kiev or Kiev. It's funny during conflict, suddenly the names of things start changing from yes. what we've always known them to be. Yes. I keep seeing uh, president Zelensky's name spelled 18 different ways <laughs> yeah, or pronounced no. 18 different ways. So it's, you know, the tough part here is, do we sit back and watch this unfold or throughout the history of human beings? I mean, Texas was not always the United States. California Mm -hmm. was not always the United States. 200 years ago, these properties didn't belong to the United States. Uh, These were different places that belonged to different countries. And that's most of Europe has been the same way. Its boundaries and its political Fences have been moved around, and throughout history, all of Asia has has done that as well. Is this just another expansion of one country into another one? Has this always been this way? Is it just that modern day technology shows us the conflict that's happening? And I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying any of this like it's right or, or it's clearly it's wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not justifying any of it. But at what point does the world say, "Hey, enough's enough," and at what point do we step in and say, "Enough bombing"? civilian housing enough mm-hmm. bombing schools don't kill people in the streets who are standing around waiting for food yeah at what point at what point and, and i think beyond that what happens when we actually do show up i mean we, we're seeing russia get bogged down in the streets of ukraine they are being beat by a civilian population largely they're being uh-huh. beat by prepared civilians it's what would happen if you invaded the united states too they're being beat in in uh, old, outdated, unequipped, under-equipped, uh, under-maintained equipment. Their troops are conscripts. They're not trained. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're being beat by that. Um, if we were to get involved, then China has to get involved. Then you have nuclear-armed states involved. That's the scary part of how this escalates. Do yeah. we just continue to arm the Ukrainian people and allow them to fight this battle. And at what point do we say, Hey, we can't just keep doing that. We need to get involved. I don't know. Long, long conversation to have here.
0: Yeah. Long conversation. A lot of, um, political, uh, you know, uh, like you said, kind of, kind of fences and, and standards we're going to have to uh, work through before we get to that point. But, right. um, I think in personal opinion, I think we're doing what we can for now. Um, and, you know, hopefully this all comes to a, a quick resolution. But uh, speaking of Russia and Putin, there's another article here from military.com. The the headline reads that Putin says Russia must undergo a self-cleansing of society to purge bastards and traitors. We'll go into the article here, but, and you know, let's be honest. Um, you know, news and you know, media in general, written or. Or, you know on a, on a newsreel is meant to you know try to grab your attention and pull you in um, but as we get into this article you'll see that, that these are his words from a speech he gave on Wednesday you know stop me if you've possibly heard this before it's um, it's pretty pretty rough it's pretty scary honestly. Um, obviously I uh, I don't speak Russian um, it was it was uh, the video is up on Twitter apparently. Um, can't say I viewed it myself. I'm sure it's out there and it's, it's probably dubbed over in, in English or whatever other language you'd, you'd want to view it in. Uh, but on Wednesday, Russian President Vladimir Putin said in his speech that Russia should undergo the self-cleaning of society and get rid of bastards and traitors as thousands of Russians tried to flee the country amid the invasion in the Ukraine. Uh, Also in his speech, the collective West is attempting to splinter our society. Uh, Again, it it mentions that the video is shared on Twitter, speculating on military losses, on socioeconomic effects of the sanctions in order to provoke a people's rebellion in Russia. So his concern is that, um, you know, air quotes here, fake news from the West is going to flood, you know, the Russian minds of the civilians in Russia and, he is worried that there will be uh, an attempt to overthrow the government there in Russia.
1: Yeah. Put, put this into simple terms or simpler terms. This is shocking to Americans and, and, and here's why mm-hmm. we are used to being able to saying to, to saying what we want to say about our government or our military or our elected leaders and things like that. Right. So there has been a lot of hubbub, Recently, through the past couple of years, about fake news and social media censoring things and stuff like that, which those are all privately owned or publicly traded entities. That's not the First Amendment. Basically, applies to prosecution or persecution of free speech and religion and things like that. Doesn't apply to you going to work and saying whatever you want to say in the workplace, or going on social media and saying whatever you want to say. So there, there are consequences for those things. But in public, what's happening is we, we saw this very early on in this invasion of Ukraine people were being arrested in the streets of russia mm-hmm. people who became aware of this invasion they were going out and protesting they weren't necessarily or particularly rioting they were protesting mm-hmm. they were waving signs around and they were being re- arrested in mass and so this is particularly shocking to us because people for 20 years protested the conflicts in afghanistan or iraq right people long before i was born were taking to the streets in, in large populations protesting Vietnam, sometimes very, you know, very extremely. People, believe it or not, this is back before media existed the way it does today, but people protested World War II. Americans, there were a, there were a large group of people that didn't want to be involved in World War II, didn't think that a European conflict or a Pacific conflict was even our, our thing. In a lot of cases, sometimes that was, you know, until Pearl Harbor happened. But even still, there are records of people who, protested these these conflicts that's a right that we're we're granted uh, I mm-hmm. often say it's a slippery slope to try to try to limit what people can say on a national scope because what could be viewed as the unpopular opinion or the conspiracy theory might actually be the truth so you don't mm-hmm. want to just flat out tell people like hey you're wrong this is what's happening in Russia right now they're they're basically saying if you don't agree with what we're doing or the government, or the military operations we're carrying out, we're just going to spit you out. Quote, we're just going to spit you out. I don't know what that means. Get rid of you, send you somewhere else, take you to prison. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying and shocking. And we've seen this in history. We've already seen yes. this before. We've seen the undesirables being thrown away, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh several Russians have told insiders that they've fled their hometowns for neighboring countries over fear of martial law, border closings, detention, and economic hardships. Some fear that they would be detained over their opposing views of the war as a new law makes it illegal to spread, airports here, false information about the Russian military, call for an end to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, or, or support sanctions against Russia. Uh, again, I don't know this for a fact. I have heard that certain social media sites have been turned off to the Russian people. I'm assuming to uh, lessen the amount of information getting uh, to those people that is not state controlled they want to keep a certain narrative uh, of information being spread to their their own people there um, but nearly 15,000 people across Russia have been detained since the start of the invasion into Ukraine according to data from an inter- independent monitoring monitoring group so
1: what's you know. what's what's more concerning to me is that they're doing this now what does that mean for the future? Are they doing this now because they're, they intend to carry out larger campaigns and they need to try to squash whatever dissent there is at this point. That's, that, that's pretty frightening. It's a pretty, pretty scary prospect, but you you know, enemies of the state, political opponents, things like that. You know, I know every conversation there's a, a law or a rule of some sort that every conversation about politics ends up talking about the Nazis, but that's exactly what they did too. Uh, to a certain point and i think the russians did it or the soviets did it back back then as well but it was taking people who were dissenters who didn't agree with what was happening um, in in politics and the current state of things and either locking them up or executing them in some cases and and as if you might know there was a movie called uh valkyrie or operation valkyrie it was made about it was tom cruise starring tom cruise but he was one of the uh saboteurs that tried to kill Adolf Hitler in world war II for the same reason, but there were something like nine to 15 attempts on Hitler's life by his own people, by his own officers of the military yeah. who disagreed politically with what was happening with that regime. Um, and so that was, it sounds like the same type of thing that's happening now. Like, Oh, we have people that don't agree and don't trust us. And so let's go get rid of them. It's a it's a scary prospect and it's repeated throughout history history repeats itself um
0: you know and i feel for the i, I would like to imagine that there are uh, maybe a small number of individuals that are part of you know the higher russian um, you know congress or or whatever their uh, political parties are yeah you know, someone that, that is high up in the in the russian political system that possibly doesn't agree with what's actually going on right now and You know, for their safety, you know, the safety of their family uh, and friends, it is probably, in their opinion, best to keep their mouths shut or their opinions to themselves right now Mm -hmm. and just kind of go along uh, with the powers that be. Uh, It's sad, Um, you know, again, just as we mentioned at the end of the last article, hopefully this all can come to an end quickly um, and before those people feel it's necessary to possibly try to take a stand or, or, you know, say anything of the opposition because, uh, you know, possibly doing the right thing could get multiple individuals, uh, you know, put away or, or worse. Right. Right. um, You know, the, the next arc we have pulled up and it's, it's an op-ed. It's written from uh, a member of the Marine Corps that, that spent some time in Afghanistan, but the title is the war is over. Cheers. Where do veterans land when the fighting is done? Uh, this was written by a, uh, a Marine named Steve Wall. Um, it doesn't really go into any sort of facts or details as to where, you know, any veteran necessarily lands. It is more of a story. He, he, he starts the story off by um, kind of painting the picture. He and his platoon are, are sitting on a ridge waiting for uh, air support. As, you know, they are starting to receive fire, he looks over his shoulder and asks some other members of his platoon, you receive free college if you get uh, a car, which is known as a combat action ribbon. Um, you know, as he glances over his shoulder, uh, you know, some of the other folks let him know, well, you have to return fire in order to receive that combat action ribbon. And then he goes into detail about shouldering his weapon and, and using the sling, just like he was taught on Paris Island, uh, to return fire. You know, according to this this article he wrote, he simply takes his weapon off of safety, shoots a single round, and puts it back in the safe. Um, you know, he did end up getting a combat action ribbon, uh, but you find out later in the article that that isn't necessarily the case. It's one of those, um, <laughs> you know, it's one of those stories that get floated around. Um, it was like ba- for, it was
1: battlefield scuttlebutt, is what we yeah, call it. There you it. go, it's scuttlebutt. Um,
0: uh, I will say that <clears throat> in this article here, uh, at, as he. Finishes up his story about, you know, he he propelled one round across the scene in front of us. I flipped the safety back on and I took a knee. At which point he said, I'm going to college. Um, you know, it goes in to talk about, you know, he, he was in the delayed entry program or no, he had he joined the delayed entry program. His junior year uh, had just gotten back from basic training as September 11th took place. Um at which point his recruiter called him into the office, um, said, don't bother you know, wearing your uniform in here, um, which he found to be weird. But he in his head had pictured, uh, we're, we're going to get there and they're going to shuttle us off and throw us on helicopters and we're going to go right to it. Uh, that, that was not to be. It was more of a, hey, you know, let, let's stay low key. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're still going to report to your duty stations. You normally would in this case. Uh, you know, go down to infantry training down in Carolina, um, but for for the longest time, and I, I felt the same way as this gentleman did. Uh, you, once the fighting broke out, you had put all that time and effort into, you know, possibly being ready for such a scenario. You wanted to be part of it. Um, this gentleman got his his opportunity uh, when he went to Afghanistan, uh, but then the story just kind of goes into he gets out, he struggles to figure out how to use the GI Bill to get himself through college, Uh, you know, lands a couple jobs afterwards, gets his education, you know, under his belt, um, and kind of tells his personal story about his his transition into, you know, the civilian life and the workforce and things like that. Uh, But once announcement was made when when biden took office they were going to end the war that we were actually going to leave afghanistan Uh, the last part of this story talks about him being in a bar he orders a pint he plans to do some some reading from a book that he, he wanted to read about you know some more veterans tales and uh he simply took a photo of his of his beer sent it to some of his buddies and just said the war is over cheers and he found that to be oddly reflective and he didn't know what any of it meant. Um, And I don't think I have an answer. I don't think Matt, you have an answer. I don't think any of us necessarily have an answer for what it means, you know, when, whenever, whatever our war is, when that's over,
1: what does any of it mean? Um, Yeah. This, so when I read this, this reminded me of my own story with a couple of, a couple of different changes, but the conversation about how his mom called him and said, "Hey, they knocked the World Trade Center down," and and he's what? like, he's like, "What?" He said he was hungover from the night before, which <sighs> sounds that's typical, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mine was not like that. I was actually in the Pacific Ocean. We were coming out of the Middle East after like a six-month uh, oh. Westpac deployment with the uh, the Boxer Amphibious Ready Group, <clears throat> and we had done all of the amazing training leading up to this in in early two thousand one and late two thousand late two thousand. Um, we were coming out and the one MC, the captain, the intercom system on the ship came over, the captain came over and said, uh, this is not a drill. Uh, the United States has been apparently attacked. Uh, some attacks in New York and Washington DC or v- Northern Virginia had taken place. And now we're going to, you know, threat condition alpha or whatever. And they called, they called them scat teams, like scat teams, man, your or all hands, man, your battle station, scat teams, port side, starboard side. It was like the gun teams that, manned the big guns on the side of the ship. And we were thinking to ourselves like, well, he said, it's not a drill, but it's still got to be a drill. Right. So we were finding out also third hand or second hand that, that this was going down. Now, the interesting thing was one of my friends, a, a girl that I knew from high school did call me the morning that we started campaigns inside of Afghanistan. I was in the barracks also sleeping it was a Saturday morning or something like that. I get a random phone call, and it was kind of funny because you're in the military, right? So people think when you're in the military, you have the know of what's going on. Yeah, well, yeah. it it wasn't it wasn't like that. My friend called me and said, "We have started bombing Afghanistan." Turn on your TV, and so I'm turning on the TV, and sure enough, there's like you know rounds impacting the side of a mountain. I remember distinctly like the carpet bombing a mountain. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking to myself like, "Oh my gosh, look at this! Like this is where we're gonna go." But I think the, the culmination of the story is he's sitting at a bar and he, you said he texted a beer, mm-hmm. a picture of a beer to his friends and said, the war is over. Cheers. He's, he's sitting at a bar and he said, it's over. As he paid for his new pint. What's over? The bartender asked, confused. I was confused too. It was an odd thing to tell a stranger. The war, I said, it's tomorrow in Afghanistan. It's over. And so that was, you know, you had this historical reference or maybe it's a pop culture reference. Like you think about the movies, people return home from war and yeah. the war is over and everybody rejoices and, Turkey you know, think, parades. Right, think about World War II. We've seen Band of Brothers, the, the HBO series uh, or any of the other fanfare that's out there. These guys, you know, American soldiers rolling through France and there's, you know, women kissing the troops and there's confetti and people yes. are handing the troops their babies and yay, you know. And then off to the side, you have any of the Nazi sympathizers being punished. But there was also, yeah, ticker tape parade in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. There was a, a parade after Desert Storm in the early 90s. Um, our generation didn't see any of that. And I think that this is probably the future of of conflict. It is that you go away. You, I think joining the military now, you have to understand that you're no longer going to be what the old timey version of the military was, which is mm-hmm. like you're going to be viewed as a hero and you're going to come back to this proud patriotic American population. And, and I'm not saying that people aren't still proud and patriotic. There are certainly a lot of people that are proud and patriotic and, and whether they agree or disagree with the politics of conflict, this is what I always say. You don't have to agree or disagree with the po- politics of conflict. I'm not in conflict because of necessarily, because I'm trying to support some political agenda. I'm in mm-hmm. conflict to look out for Tim Keller next to me. That's all I care about when somebody slinging lead at me, right? That's yeah. all I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what color the guy or girl sitting next to me is. It doesn't matter what God they pray to. None of that stuff matters. And I'm, I'm now a member of this team and I'm executing this mission. And then you come home from that. And my challenge always was that I didn't belong. I always joked around, like, I don't belong among you. I'm not one of you. Mm-hmm. Like I, I felt less included Companies talk about diversity and inclusion now. It's like a big thing. It's a big, it has been a big priority for a lot of organizations. It's a big conversation about how do you make people, how do you help people come to work and be their whole selves and they feel comfortable at work being whatever gender, whatever, whatever color, whatever race, creed, et cetera. The, the military for me, although I would never take it back, I would never do anything differently. It was really hard hanging up a uniform and coming home for years. It was hard. I well, didn't belong among this population. You, you brought up uh, how
0: important that is to to corporate America these days. The the inclusion factor. Uh, literally, I don't think there was anywhere where I felt there was better inclusion than my time in the in the military. Because literally, Absolutely. you had, as you mentioned, every color of the spectrum, uh, male, female. It did not matter. Uh, You know, from Hawaii to Maine and from Alaska to Miami, it didn't matter. We were all there as one. And that's all we knew.
1: If something went
0: down, uh, your group meant everything to you and that was your family. And you're going to do whatever is necessary to ensure that those individuals come home safe because they all have moms, dads, sisters, brothers, children, wives that you may have never met. But because they Are attached to this individual standing beside you at that moment. They matter to you, and
1: yeah, it's it's uh, you know I I I like to tell the story the the anecdote that you know I was a a white kid from a white community in the middle of Cincinnati, Ohio, and you know my my parents are both educated people with they were you know they had good jobs and and that was the path I was going to take. I just had to serve in the military first. But what I found was my first education on diversity was that when I showed up to boot camp, roughly half of those people didn't look or sound like me. And then once I got to the fleet and then of course got deployed and I spent countless hours very intimately I mean, you're you're literally sleeping yes. next to or on top of each other in racks and you get to know people pretty well. Some of my best friends, English wasn't their first language. Yeah. I'll just, I'll put it that way. Some of my best friends, people I still talk to their parents or they—they they themselves did not. They weren't born in the United States. They didn't come from here. They didn't look like me. They didn't sound like me. They didn't come from the so- same socioeconomic group that I did. That was—that was. That was uh, I don't—I don't, I don't want to say it was mind blowing. As an 18-year-old, I joined the military. Was and opening. Open, right. I was—I was open for anything. But when I look back on that now, I look at how a lot of people's experiences are not that. When you just go to college down the street, or you go to the. You are probably you know, going to find people that are just like you. you. Yeah, are from right. that
0: similar neighborhood. They might not be right. from that same neighborhood, but they might be from a very similar neighborhood three
1: towns over. Right, I'd, yeah. I'd bet that the military is arguably one of the most, if not the most, diverse workplace or or education. Absolutely, that the United States has to offer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I, I can speak from uh, personal experience. Some of the the larger companies I've worked for do a very good job of uh, creating. Um, you know, sidebar groups like um, the company I currently work at. I am part of a veterans uh, resource team. Uh, I know there are, you know, for Hispanic employees, for African American employees, female employees, whatever you know, uh, social group that you seem to you know have a deep connection to. Uh, you know, at least this company has has groups for those people. So, um, you know, if if a veteran in, in my company has found Hey, you know, uh, I, I found the, this this group that does great work for us veterans. Um, you know, free counseling. Uh, you know, whatever it is, but it's a place for us to all share and be amongst uh, you know people with similar mindsets and similar mm-hmm. experiences, right? Um, and it's not to to you know single us out and say we're we're the veterans group and we might not work with because again you're uh, finding in the, in this particular veterans group that again, you're, you're amongst those ranks. It's, uh, any level of employer, uh, I'm sorry, employee within inside the company from the top all the way to the bottom and vice versa. And again, you're seeing that uh, all the colors of the rainbow, uh, from all parts of the country. And it's, it's fantastic.
1: When you're talking about like affinity groups or employee resource groups mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that, the, the, it is my experience, at least the veterans group and the disability groups are the only two that can be inclusive of literally everybody else. Uh, and and I, 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 don't, I, I shouldn't say that, so I should rephrase that because all ERGs or, or affinity groups inside of a company should be inclusive of everybody. Anybody yeah. should be able to join those. But what I mean is they are represented by people. The veterans and, and disability group can be represented by people of all of the other groups. So, mm-hmm. for example, you have veterans who have served in the military uh, who are all different colors, all different races, genders. Disability levels, all the protected statuses can fit into that group, similar mm-hmm. to the, the disability group. And so, yes, it's it's a it's effectively a melting pot, as is the United States, right? It's it's mm-hmm. a it's a melting pot of people. So the military is just a, a cross section or dichotomy of that. Uh, in some cases, when you look at the people leaving the military and entering the workforce, it actually represents a larger diversity number than than what we're recruiting from in the population of the U.S.
0: Yeah, absolutely absolutely so
1: yeah that's a that's a
0: good read uh again the the title of the article is the war is over cheers uh, where do veterans land when the fighting is done again it's not necessarily giving you any sort of tips on on you know best practices of of how to search for jobs or anything like that but it's a it's a definite good read it's this uh this individual story and uh you know like you said matt as you're reading through it i know i personally identified with multiple parts of that story i i i especially like the part where he was on, uh, he was out on a float. And normally, um, you know, you leave on a, on a boat from the East coast, you're going to, you know, hit all the countries in the Mediterranean. You're going to check off, you know, Italy, and Greece, and, you know, maybe Southern France or Spain, something like that. And instead uh, they get diverted and they find themselves in Afghanistan. So, uh, with the good, there is the bad. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Maria, for commenting. Uh, yeah, if you, if you're with us live anywhere, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, you can leave a comment and, and, uh, you know, if we see it, we can throw it up there on the screen. So appreciate that. Uh, the next article we have up, this will probably be our last one for the day, uh, speaks a little bit more about, uh, you know, best practices and things like that. The title of this one also from military.com six tips for sharing strengths and weaknesses in a job interview. So you want to be forthcoming. And we all learned while in the military, you want to be direct. You were told to be upfront about your challenges, your shortcomings, and your obstacles. But should you really share details about your strengths and weaknesses in an interview? Um, I know on not all, and not even, I wouldn't say most, but I have had interviews in the past where they will directly ask you, so give me your biggest strength. You give them whatever it is you come up with. And then Right next to it is, what is your bigness weakness? Uh, Personally, I have found the what is your bigness weakness question, the much tougher one to answer. Uh, But there are different ways to possibly pull this sort of information out of there. Uh, Employers will find creative ways of learning what you can offer to the company and the job and where risks or barriers may present um, by asking behavioral interview questions, performance-based questions, or opinion questions and, and to try and to reveal these
1: this weakness question it's always one that's I, I, listen I'm in talent acquisition mm-hmm. I hate this question I've always hated I, I've hated being asked it but I've had yeah. to come up with an answer for it and and the reason I hated it is because basically what it feels like is somebody is asking you to to tell them what you're not good at mm-hmm. uh, but I would tell you that the if you are the interviewee uh, part of becoming the 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 best the best chance, the best, the best, the obvious choice is what we'll call it. Becoming the obvious choice when I hire somebody, when anybody hires anybody, you want people that will be able to self-identify their weaknesses. So sometimes the question is not actually asking you. The reason why they're asking this is not to get like, what are you terrible at? I can't yeah. tie my shoes. You know, they're they're trying to see if that you're going to be willing to talk about something that you need to improve upon, which shows humility. It's going to, we're going to talk about that here inside of the, the article. It shows a little bit of self-identification or self-evaluation. So S- self-awareness, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. That's you want somebody like that on your team. So go ahead, Tim. I'll sort of...
0: um, You know, since we started talking about weakness, we'll, we'll talk about that one first and um, you know, full disclosure for the longest time, um, one of my weaknesses would have been, uh, you know, creating and consistently keeping up with new relationships. I, I still to this day, I wouldn't consider myself uh, like an overly people type person. Uh, but over the years, knowing that that is something that is um, one of my weaker points, I've made concerted efforts to get better at that. And I'm much more comfortable You know, t- today going up and introducing myself to someone, uh, having that very first conversation, being able to make eye contact, you know, actively listen to those individuals and, uh, you know, start building relationships immediately. Uh, but yeah, here talking about your weaknesses, there was a time when it was acceptable and even humorous and would never have thought of this, uh, this answer, this question, but what is your biggest weakness? You could possibly answer chocolate. Ha
1: ha funny um huh. yeah i wouldn't have i personally yeah. never would have thought of that and, and and here's the thing you're not going into an interview and going like what's your biggest weakness well you know i like to stay Beazies. up real late and have too many beers and yeah. <laughs> and then i don't wake up on time for work and yeah uh, you know it, so, it's, it's 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 talking about things like like some of my weaknesses like some of the, the ones that i had to identify was like I, i'm not i was not historically good at delegating responsibilities i wanted to do everything by myself and then i had an old boss of mine tell me like you've got to get better at utilizing the resources around you to get things done. Stop trying to do everything on your own. I'm still guilty of this. I still Mm -hmm. try to take on too much, but it was, I want to be everybody's everything. That's a weakness. It's something that I needed to improve upon and use the resources, the people and the expertise around me to get the mission accomplished. Similar to the military. It's not Matt Disher going over the wire, right? It's Matt Disher and squad and platoon and company, right? It's, it's, you have to element and guide and direct your people around. So uh, it can't be a one-man show all the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the first tip here about you know talking about your weaknesses is avoid offering reasons not to hire you. the The example here is one recruiter uh, when asked a candidate what is your biggest weakness, uh, the candidate answered, "I get angry very quickly. I'm working on it, but my ex-wife would tell you it's very scary." That sort of line uh, would immediately turn me off as a hiring manager. Say this this individual sounds like. You know, obviously, they say they're working on it and uh, I hope they continue to work on it. But as of this moment, I don't think I can hire this individual because I can't put them out there with the rest of the workforce, having them uh, get angry and scaring individuals. Other examples <laughs> include I get bored easily. That's why I've changed jobs a lot. I've been told I'm not a good team player. Uh, you know, these these are not necessarily the qualities that
1: hiring managers are looking for. Um so you and, want to yeah. try to stay away from those, for sure. Yeah. they're looking for red flags too. They want to look yeah. for excuses, also. Are you sitting there making excuses about what's happened, right? And mm-hmm. if it sounds like you are, oh, I left this job after six months because it's everybody was flags. mean, right? Yeah. And then six months before that, I left that job after six months because also everybody was mean. It's like, well, you're, there's a common denominator here. We're, we're looking for, we're looking for that type of denominator. Uh, the next tip here uh,
0: for weaknesses is if your weakness is that you're better at working on the implementation and the tactics of a project rather than the strategy. Explain how you've learned to overcome this challenge if it's required for that part of the work. So um, yeah. So obviously, um, I, I I wanted to be in a leadership role um, once I got into corporate America. So uh, as I spoke of before, you know, cultivating relationships was, was one of the uh, weaker points of my persona. So I made, I made an effort. I know if I want to be a good leader, I need to be able to create and maintain solid relationships, uh, you know, with my counterparts and, and my direct reports. So on a daily basis, I made it a, a point to start conversations, uh, share little bits about myself and hope I get those things in return and, and work on those. So, you know, similarly, if your weakness is that. You don't have strong credentials in a particular field. You might offer that you're taking night classes, doing online learning, or earning certificates to get stronger in those aspects. Uh, number six, and this is a great one, is turn that weakness into a positive. So uh, for somebody that doesn't necessarily want to be um, in a in a lead role, uh, you know, explain to that hiring manager or the recruiter, whoever you're speaking with, uh, that you understand that in today's workforce, there needs to be leaders, and there also needs to be uh, followers, people that make sure the work is being completed, uh, and that you take direction very well. I think that's a, a great one. If you're if you're applying for a position that's not going to be any sort of leadership role, let them know. Hey, I have no problem uh, accepting direction, and I take direction very well. And I I love being part of a team and love working with others.
1: Yeah, I have I have one that's both a a positive and a, a negative, or a, a strength and a weakness, and that is that I I have. Uh, what you would call probably an attention issue. I can do six different things at once. I'm very easily distracted, but I also get six different things done at be- once. I can get pulled in different directions, and I always come back to that center pivot point. And and some people might say, "Well, I do that every day. I that's yeah, that's a discipline. Uh, it's it is a discipline. It's a discipline." that a lot of people can't do, for example, they can't be pulled away from one thing and then come back to it. Like a lot of people focus on one or two projects at once and they have Mm -hmm. to stay in that lane. They have to finish that project until it is done. Right. They can't step away from it. They can't deviate. And the issue with that is especially in, you know, given the different types of roles, especially relationship based roles where you're talking to a hundred different people at a time, you, you don't get to dictate when people need your attention. Mm. So you have to be able to come back to those things. Uh, again, it's a weakness and a strength because I, I'm able to do multiple things. I'm able to have a lot of RPMs, as one of my old bosses put it. You have a lot of RP, you're putting out a lot of RPMs. There's a lot of production here. Uh, but at the same time, when I'm sitting down at my desk, self identifying what I can do better, it doesn't feel like a strength. It feels like a weakness. It feels like something I need to constantly work on. So, again, the answers that people are looking for in these interviews or self-awareness. It's just, Mm -hmm. do you know what you need to get better at and how are you getting better? Uh,
0: Yeah, Matt, as as I was reading earlier, you you did share uh, another comment by Maria. She said, also, always follow on how you are working to improve your weakness. Thank you. We got it back up there on the screen. Yeah, Uh, uh, great comment, Maria. Um, You know, it's one thing to know where a weakness may be or uh, a lesser strong, you know, point of, of your persona may be but it's a whole nother thing if you're willing and able to show that you're working on those weaknesses to try to improve as much as possible. Uh, So let's, let's kind of shift gears here and let's go into sharing your strengths. Uh, Be specific. Don't just talk about, well, you know, I I give a hundred percent and you know, I'm very analytical or I think outside the box. Those very vague. It's it's not specific at all. Uh, You want to list specific strengths that you possess and how, they directly relate to the job that you're applying for. If the position requires team building, for example, highlight how your leadership and active listening skills empower you to work well across job functions, enlist buy-in and support, and create tangible results. It's perfect. Uh, number two is offer examples. Uh, so Matt, we've brought up many times on uh, on this podcast that especially for sales uh, or any or any job that's necessarily numbers driven, if you've worked in this field before, you want to bring those numbers to the table. Those are tangible, real-life results that you can say, uh, you know, this is exactly what I can bring to this position. If your experience, if your experience is primary military-related, convert those into civilian examples instead of saying I can train new enlisted recruits to perform combat optimal levels. Share an example of how a civilian might explain it. One of my strengths is clearly outlining the goals to a team, then ensuring everyone is on board.
1: Or I have trained 180 yes. troops and here's how I executed the plan. I, you know, here was my project plan. Here's how I executed. And then here's how I followed up and made sure that we did it right the next time. Yep.
0: And then uh, lastly, when showing strengths, uh, this is always a tip I give people when they are going into interviews. You want to be confident, not cocky. You want to uh, try to avoid the mistake of sharing your strengths uh, and trying to be grandioso uh, such as I'm the top go-to person on any team because I am simply and always the best. Uh, you don't want to be braggadocious. You don't want to put yourself out there as I am the greatest thing ever. Because again, we all have weaknesses.
1: There, there's ever-changing technology, statistics. Uh, you know, as we're seeing economic impacts and changes. You know, for a lot of jobs, these types of things impact what's going on. You simply can't walk into an interview and go, I know everything. I know all the answers and nothing's ever going to change. Cause what'll happen is somebody will always be better or some outside influence will change whatever's happening. And then you have to be adaptable, mm-hmm. be humble. I tell my son, this be humble.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, and if you were that person that has all the answers, you wouldn't be sitting there in front of a hiring, uh, hiring manager because you would be a billionaire.
1: Yep. yep. Right.
0: Uh, you know, they give a last tip here. Uh, if you want to try to not come off as arrogant, you could potentially phrase feedback offerings such as I've been told by others that I am the most empathetic leader they've ever reported to. Right. So uh, Matt, you have a hard out here in a very uh, short window. So we're going to cut this one off now. We want to thank everybody for checking us out. Again, you can find us on all the major social media platforms, as well as all the major podcast platforms, videos available on LinkedIn, on YouTube, and now on Spotify as well. Oh, and Facebook. I always forget the videos up on Facebook. So you can check us out there, all your favorite podcast platforms. Make sure you tell a friend or a relative to check the podcast out. We appreciate everybody. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week right here on Beyond the Wire.